The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There, he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. This is the gospel of our Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Please be seated. Here it is. It's the parable of the lost sheep. 
It's usually people's favorite Bible story. Not the parable of the lost sheep. Or what, is, what do they call that? A, uh, a Freudian slip? Because it's the, the third time round that Jesus is trying to t- teach the same lesson to tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees. But for sure trying to crack that hard nut outer shell of the Pharisee or religious leader at the time who didn't like to forgive sinners. They believed that sinners were to be killed by God. Very different from how we see things, huh? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, 2,000 years of Christianity. Now, um, uh, as the first three verses of our reading today suggest, uh, Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees were upset by this, saying, I can't believe he thinks... He's even a prophet if he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus tells everyone, most likely, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, most likely um, what was happening here was Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners in a private home. And Pharisees, or religious leaders, were standing outside the window looking in and commenting on what Jesus was doing and saying. Could you imagine something more annoying? I, I don't think I could. All right, so anyways, and it was a common practice at the time. If your windows were open, it was fair game. People could look in and see if there's a discussion or a good discussion going on. Uh, and uh, it turned out. So Jesus first tells a parable of a lost coin, or sorry, a lost sheep. Um, you know, there's, not, there's a flock of 100 sheep, one's lost. And the good shepherd leaves the 99 who are going the right way to go and find and yank out of a crevice the lost sheep. He leaves everything to go and get the one who has gone away or turned astray. Puts him around his shoulder and there's much rejoicing. And then he tells uh, this parable of a lost coin. There's a widow and she really, really needs this coin. A day's wages. So she sweeps the floor, rearranges everything until she finds it. And then when she finds it, she invites all of her friends over because she's so excited. And they all rejoice together. We found the lost coin. And then the penultimate climactic story, Jesus says, okay, you got it with the sheep. You got it with the coin. But what about your son? What about your brother? What if your brother was lost? What if your son was lost? And there Jesus drives at everyone's heart, yeah. And so he makes it real for everybody. Uh, Without further ado, there once was a man who had two sons. Um, The younger one said to his father, Father, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead so I could have your assets liquidate them for me right now because I want to go and have fun. I value the money, the property more than your life, Dad. Anything you could teach me, anything, any time we could spend together, anything that you daily give me, eating together, land, a roof over my head, doesn't matter. I'd rather have the money. 
And so I'm sure, not very happily, dad splits up the inheritance, right? So if there's two sons, the younger son would get one-third of the estate. Older one would get two-thirds. Um, and, you know, imagine trying to liquidate assets in um, the first century. It's probably difficult, yeah? Um, so he does this, and he goes off into a foreign land. And um, he spends all this money, and, but to show that he's truly turned his back on his upbringing and his Hebrew background, he works on a pig farm, which would probably be like working on an opium field today or working on a pot grow-up in like the mid-2000s. It's, you're growing and selling contraband because Hebrew people don't eat pigs. And so... <clears throat> He's there living among the pigs. He wishes that he could eat the carob pod waste that the pigs were getting because he's so hungry. He's, uh, he's, uh, he was longing to be fed, which is what sticks out to me. Of course, you could expand that out to all of us. We're all longing to be, be fed by something. However... He comes to his senses, which I think is interesting. He, came, he said, it says he came to himself. He came, comes to his senses, his senses. He repents, which is what all of Lent is pointing to, yeah? He repents and he says, I've not only sinned against my father, I've also sinned against heaven, against God, like all sins are. But here's the catch. He tries to set up in his head a scheme to get back into the good graces of his father. Like we all do. He says, okay, I'm going to go to him and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as a hired servant. I'm going to work for him and earn it back. I'm going to earn back everything that I've wasted. In the same way, we all try to fix it ourselves, come up with a scheme We all try to say, I believe that I'm saved by grace through faith, and this is not of any good works that I do. But what happens when we try to save a relationship? Not even with God. When we try to save a relationship with a brother or a sister or a parent or a child, we say, how can I make it up to you? How can I make it up to you? When we know all that needs to be said by the person that you've done wrong is, I forgive you. And then it's forgiven, not paid for, by the transgressor. And so, and this is, a whole bunch of stuff happens all at once. But he sets back to go to his father. And his dad sees him while he's still far off. What does that mean? It means none other than the dad most likely each day found himself standing on his front porch, looking into the far off distance, waiting and expecting his son to come home again. 
And so he runs to his son. I don't know if you've heard this before, but dudes didn't run back then when you hit a certain age. If you were a man of means, if you were a a wealthy person, you didn't run. It was degrading. It would have scandalized those Pharisees, the religious leaders who were listening. No Pharisee ever ran. (laughs) Oh, boy. No self-respecting man of power, no self-respecting man of wealth would run. But he runs to be with his beloved son. And his son even tries to bring his shtick up. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Dot, 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 hyphen. Dad hugs him. Sorry, you can continue later, son. I'm overwhelmed with your return. He hugs him. He gives him the signet ring. He gives him the finest robe, meaning his robe. He gives him shoes for his feet. He even has a fattened calf slaughtered for him. Which means, of course, he was fattening up a uh, calf in full expectation that his son would come home. All leading to the ultimate uh, quote here. My son was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And they celebrated. Take a moment to reflect on if there are prodigal sons in your life course it doesn't have to be a son it can be someone that you're waiting for to come home whether in the faith whether truly in the home whether it be in a lifestyle and reflect on the incredibleness the beauty of God's patience his mercifulness his long-sufferingness for us God who created and made us loved us in this way that he sent his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he, uh, right? The hymn we just sang. But the story doesn't stop there. And I remember being reminded on a Sunday morning when I was teaching this. But wait, what about the other brother, Pastor? So we got to. But we go into the other brother thinking about how we were dead and now we're alive. My son was dead and now my son's alive. You were baptized into Christ's death. You were baptized into his life. The clear message, God gladly receives repentant sinners. And so... We go to the older son, the older brother. And this is what kills me. When he gets updated with the situation, he calls his brother to his dad. He calls him your son. 
distancing himself from his brother. He's not calling his brother his brother anymore, even though he's his brother. He depersons him. And in this way, he begins to disrespect his father. Exactly what he's trying to string up his brother on charges of. Because ultimately, by him scolding his father for being merciful and loving, by loving his son in a way that his brother could never understand, he's criticizing his father's mercy, his father's love, his father's forgiveness. And so, yeah, the brother, he has a whole bunch of list of grievances to to share, but his dad also has to interrupt him and say, my son, you don't get it. Your brother was dead, and now he's alive. Let's rejoice. Your brother was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And that's the significance of becoming a Christian. You were dead, and now you're alive. And so we ought to live as though we have the joyous celebration that we are alive, though we were once dead. Dead like a skunk on the side of the road. Or if you follow the Facebook group, there is a dead cat in the center of, uh, uh, oh boy, I always forget this one that I turn on to every day. That the bakery is on. Arlington Heights Road. Poor cat. We were dead in our sin and we were raised to life in Christ. We have to celebrate. Never, ever, ever can we forget that we were dead and now we're alive. The old has passed away. The new has come. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, or as I like to say, a new creature. You were an old creature created by God, but now you're a new creature recreated by God. To do something different. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And so Paul closes by telling us about what Jesus did for us and how we then to also then respond, right? So at Christmas, we rejoice. Um, glory to God in the highest and peace among people on earth. God comes down. He sends his only son to live among us, walk among us, suffer by our hands and die. And then rise again to make peace between us and God himself. Jesus stands between God and the world and takes on our sin. And so what we do in response is we are Christ's ambassadors. Ambassador is the word for apostle. We are Christ's ambassadors. Instead of being the older brother, wanting our reward for sticking around, instead we need to seek out 
our lost brothers and sisters and remind them that God gladly receives and forgives repentant sinners. And though even though maybe you never left. Maybe everything was fine. Maybe whatever. And we don't amplify what the brother who returns a sin was. We don't amplify that because we believe and confess that those sins are not only covered, but they're forgiven. They don't exist anymore. At the same time, we don't want to be Pharisees looking into a window on a private dinner commenting on who should and should not be in that home. And so, we close in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.